This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1225, entitled, well actually I don't have a title today, uh, on the fly, got to come up with something about Harry Potter, um, and then, no, <laughs> we'll have to muggle through, that's our title for today, our podcast title is Harry Potter Returns, because Megan has been off to see Harry Potter. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, so I'll be digging into that later and I'll try to keep it, you know, fairly demure and not get too excited because I am a massive fan. No. (laughs) And that is Megan McHugh and I am Rob Jan. And I just wanted to start out with a, uh, just a little bit of a mention of something I haven't had time to do a workup on. Um, Stanley Donnan, the great American film director and choreographer, has passed away, born on in 1924 and no longer with us. You will know him for his dance movies, basically Singing in the Rain, On the Town, Royal Wedding, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Funny Face... That's not really necessarily a dance movie, and a charade, of course. Uh, actually, one of my favourite ones is um, Always Fair Weather from 1955. So, you know, obviously you'll have heard of many of those and perhaps seen some of them, many of which starred the great Gene Kelly, who was co-directing because they were dance movies. Duh. Uh, there are three movies that particularly recommend themselves to Zero G in Stanley Donnan's. Archives, uh, Bedazzled with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, which is a hell of a fantasy. Uh, Raquel Walsh is in it too. And, of course, The Little Prince, which again is a kind of a fantasy science fiction musical. And Saturn 3, which is just indescribable. (laughs) It's got Kirk Douglas and uh, Farrah Fawcett in it as well as... uh, His name escapes me at the moment, but... Somebody who plays villains quite a bit, and not the robot. <laughs> Harvey Keitel, yes, of course. Uh, so, yeah, those um, particular movies of uh, Stanley Donovan will live forever in the immortal canon of cinema. Now, uh, the Oscars. Now, I don't think we should spoil this. because Some people still care about the Oscars. Yeah, there are people out there who um, want to watch it when they get home, that sort of thing. So we'll, we'll honour that wish. But that doesn't stop us from uh, having a few punts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, best picture, obviously for me, Black Panther. Yeah, do you think it can do it? Do you think it can get it? I suspect not. It's a fairly strong field this year. Um, and I think it's quite diverse as well. I mean, but it is nice to see another genre in there. And, of course, you would consider Shape of Water genre. And they... Um, took it out last year so Mm. you know who knows who can say wakanda forever is all i can say (laughs) and we've got uh adapted screenplay i'd I'd punt for uh the ballad of buster scruggs 
Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. We really liked that one. We did. And original screenplay, I'd go for, um, I guess I'd go for The Favourite. Although that, that's being said, that said, I haven't actually seen it, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I actually, I want to see that, but I need to see The Lobster first. They're not related, but they're sort of related. So I feel uh, like I want to catch both of those. And animated features. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. But it's, but it's up against Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, and Ralph Breaks the Internet. I mean, Isle of Dogs could be interesting, and I think that was a delightful feat of animation. But Spider-Man, you just can't go past. Yeah. I really think that had the story, it had the heart, it had the effects. Mm, it had the spiders. <laughs> exactly. Um, original score's a tricky one, uh, and I'd put it between Black Panther, Isle of Dogs, and I guess Mary Poppins Returns. I actually quite liked the um, the score to Isle of Dogs. Yeah, it was quite innovative, wasn't it? Um, I'm trying to have a look. Yeah, I reckon it's probably Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, original song, I have uh, no hesitation in recommending When a Cowboy <laughs> Trades His Spurs for Wings from Buster Scruggs. Yeah. And production design, well, look, between Black Panther and First Man, I'd, I'd go for Black Panther. It's just such an amazing production design. In It'd that. be nice to see that take it out, actually. Mm. Um, sound mixing, I would put it between First Man and Black Panther, and I'd go for First Man. Mm, okay, yep. Um, the, the sound mixing in that was visceral. Uh, costume design, oh, there's a lot in there. There's um, Panther, Buster Scruggs, the favourite, Mary Poppins and Mary Queen of Scots. Two Marys. Oh, Mary Poppins did have some nice costumes. It did. The favourite could be a surprise entry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd go for Panther again. For that yeah. One. The costumes in that are amazing. And the, I think, you know, they did a good job of really tapping into a certain energy and staying true to the kind of, um, like, the African styles they really wanted to, that they were influenced by, so... I hope that one gets it. And, and again, sound editing, rather like sound mixing, but mm. not the same. Um, again, I'd go for First Man on that one. I mean, yeah, anything space-wise, if it's done really well, takes a lot of skill. Although A Quiet Place is in there too, which is odd, but when you think about it... For mixing? Oh, for, for editing, editing, sound yeah. editing. And then you get, you know, the one that uh, that really often sort of is always... Well, not always, but quite often is cleaned up by a genre film, mm. uh, visual effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we've got Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man or Ready Player One, Solo, a Star Wars story. I'd have to go for Infinity War because that yeah. is just so massive. The effects in that were pretty amazing. Like, I, you can't doubt that. I'd also go for best choreography because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. You know, superhero fight is a dance. Oh, we'll see how they go and uh, wherever they go to, um, well, I will say Wakanda forever because that's where my heart lies at the moment. I wonder what's going to take out the big prize. Mm. Now there's... um, It'll be Roma. I reckon it's Roma. You reckon? Yeah, I put money behind it. Okay. A dollar. (laughs) I have no money. I'll put my, you know, good name behind it. Okay. Uh, I, I'll, I'll bet an Infinity Stone on Black Panther. <laughs> uh, one of the little ones. I guess it's different what you want to win and what you think might win. It's You know what it is? It's Sportsen. It's what? Sportsen. It's like it's like Zero-G Sportsen, <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about a little show that I saw um, last Thursday night. And... Um, there was a show called uh, well let's let's go for the show itself is called Ms. Ms. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries and um, it's based on 
uh, another show based on Kerry Greenwood's Fryn Fisher detective novels and set in 1920s Melbourne. That was the original of this show, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which ran for three seasons and 34 episodes. Did you watch that? Was I the did. Original? Yeah. yeah. Gail, my partner, um, used to watch it, so I'd sit in on it. Um, and I actually like historical detective uh, series. Hmm. It had... Um, With a strong female protagonist. It did indeed. Essie Davis. And she actually uh, reprised the title character in the feature Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears, which is set for theatrical release this year. Hmm. Um, you can find all three seasons on Netflix now. <laughs> so oh, can you? everything gets vacuumed up. Goodness. Um, there's a spin-off series, again set in Melbourne. This takes place in the 1960s, and it's called Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries with Fryn Fisher... Having gone, Frinny, Franny, Franny, Franny. Oh, you know, I'll call her Frin, <laughs> Frin, Frin. Um, but she was flying. Was Frin? <laughs> She's also an aviatrix as well as a detective, and she went missing over the New Guinea highlands. And so her niece, Peregrine Fisher, has inherited her famous aunt's house and fortune. Oh, I think that is from the books. Hmm. Peregrine sets out to follow in uh, Mrs. Miss P's stylish footsteps, uh, bringing her own skill set to sleuthing and mentored by the ladies of the Adventurous Club. Uh, this is on Channel 7 on Thursday night at the weird time of 8.33, but you know how they are when they like to... Is it 8.33? Yeah, they like to pip the other channels. They don't that want you to change. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah, that's how they do it in free to air. Uh, it's created by Deb Cox and Fiona Eager. Um, Deb Cox worked on Sea Change and a number of other quite successful Australian series. Um, Geraldine Hakewell is playing Peregrine Fisher, known for the lead role of Chelsea Babbage in Wanted. We've also got Joel Jackson playing Detective Steed, and we've seen him before as Peter Allen in Peter Allen, Not the Boy Next Door. We've also got Catherine McClements playing a one of the adventuresses, uh, Bertie Burnside. And I saw her once in 1993 in The Girl from Tomorrow Part 2, Tomorrow's End. You might know more from uh, Water Rats. It's often tricky to judge from the pilot show, um, the cut of a series. I, I think I'd prefer a bit more spy-fi in this one since it's set in the 60s, but it's early days yet and um, they have actually have a James Steed, which is like the British Avengers. And their Q, their gadget man, is no, none other than Toby Truslove, the, uh, the local mm. genre series um, stalwart from The Strange Calls and Outline, Outland and, of course, um, Utopia. In 60s-era terms, they're operating around a show called um, Honey West, which was a show about a female detective uh, played by Anne Francis. They're about there so far. They're not into, like, um, The Girl from Uncle or uh, all the Avengers with Mrs. Peel. Um, But still, that's no small thing in itself. And again, caveats, the first episode I'm talking about here... Uh, there are four telemovies, by the way. I'm happy to report that subsequent episodes are a bit more spy-fi, I have found out since I um, started talking about this. Uh, costume and domestic goods buffs will like the retro togs and the vintage props. And speaking of space-age-related kit, Peregrine's house is very cool. This looks like something out of the Brady Bunch. Amusingly, there's not a a vast amount of change between the roaring 20s and the swinging 60s in terms of some social aspects, so fewer actual gentlemen are around and they're more like the madmen. So lots of um, early lib sort of stuff in here, as 
as um, there was in um, the uh, the original series. The acting and dialogue, I thought, played a bit stilted, which is often the way of a period show that's just kind of bedding in until the cast get comfortable with the cadence and their characters. Hell, I even saw that same difficulty with Star Trek Discovery with the Klingons as they got used to their teeth and their prosthetics and their costumes. Uh, there's no shade cast over the principle, though. Geraldine Hakewell channels 99 and Audrey Hepburn quite convincingly in this show. And it's nice that they've handed down uh, Friend's um, signature gold-plated revolver to Peregrine because, uh, you know, it's a little uh, sort of artefact that uh, needed to continue. And, of course, it's filmed in Melbourne, and um, which is a, a go-to several eras rolled into one city, as we know, provided you frame certain shots to block out 21st century buildings with the um, rather ambitious palm trees in the Parliament Gardens. <laughs> Uh, there's a, a, a business called the Blair Shopping Emporium that you see in the uh, in the pilot. Don't you love that word, emporium? And that was really impressive. But its interiors seem to um, encompass a great whack of Swanston Street, from the Nicholas Building all the way up to the Manchester Unity Building and beyond, because they've like cobbled it together from bits of that and Myers and stuff. Maybe they'll excavate the foundations of this mysterious mercantile monolith during the underground construction. Uh, I thought that the closing jump up and get groovy dance number that they had at the end of the story might have been better segued into a funky end title, you know, like classic 60s shows had. But it was entertaining enough and it showed promise. And I believe this week uh, there's a pop star and a backup singer called Gidget, who um, get electrocuted during their spot on a TV show. So, you know, we're starting into the early television era and stuff. I think that'll be great. Um, This is on Channel 7 Thursday night, 8.30-ish to about 10.30. So these are two-hour telly movies. Uh, and you can catch up with the first one on 7 Plus if you didn't see it. And no, it hasn't replaced the popular slab of triple episode screenings of the historical... Canadian detective series The Murdoch Mysteries, which is still playing on Channel 7 too. That's just like this big triple that they do every Thursday. So there you go. And I thought we'd have a track here. Would I say at this stage it's too early to say if it's a yeah, if you've already liked the Fryn... I don't know why I call her Fran, The Fryn um, uh, Fisher um, series up until now, you'll probably enjoy having a bit of a gear change and a cast change and all that. And if not, you can just wait till the movie comes out. (laughs) Okay, this is Miss Fisher's theme by Greg J. Walker, who is actually a Victorian. And this is from the uh, soundtrack, Miss Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. This is Danny Strong. I play Jonathan, creator of the internet, international man of mystery, and star of the Matrix trilogy, and Jono the Vampire Slayer. You're listening to 3RRFM Radio. Ha! It's one of my better inventions. Yeah, we had uh, Mr. Walker with the main title theme for Miss Fisher, the original. <laughs> not, <laughs> not Miss Ms. Fisher, but Miss Fisher. All right, and I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. We are, are on Zero G on Triple R, rolling through into the big feature of today. Megan has been to see the Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Yes. Cursed. Correct. Cursed. That's like my subtitle for the last couple of days. Like, oh, yes, I'm Megan and I've been to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child because I was very excited. So I got to go along on Saturday um, and 
the way I don't know. I mean, it, look, I'm just going to talk about it as though people know nothing. So it is a stage play, obviously, and it's in two parts, which I think is what's the most interesting thing. So something to consider if you're planning to head along to this, which, spoiler, I strongly recommend, <laughs> Um it is in two parts, and so the first part is about two hours and 40 minutes, and the second part is about two hours and 35 minutes. And so there's a couple of ways that you can see it, and I'll get into that a little in a little bit. Oh, so, is, uh, is there a um, – when was the, the – the the Medea blackout on this uh, finished. I call it a Medea blackout because if you give spoilers... It's forever. So it's one forever. of the big things <laughs> that they've got in all of the materials and kind of one of the the log lines for the whole production is this idea of keep the secrets because there's a lot in the show that I think would be spoiled if someone told you about it before mm-hmm. you went to see it. So I think generally... I don't want to spoil any elements of the production, but I'm also not going to spoil anything about the plot, even though it has been released as a script that a lot of people, including me, went and purchased a couple of years ago. So the story is out there. So you can be well aware of kind of what the plot points are, but I'm also aware that it's just started here and there are probably people who would like to see it fresh. And I just don't want to spoil anything. And there's a lot in here that will be a joy to see for the first time. Or even if, like me, you read it a couple of years ago and you've forgotten something some of the plot points. I don't want to reiterate anything too specific now. I just think that is just against the spirit of the thing. So so you've actually read the, the script years yeah, ago? Yeah. So I had read the script a couple of oh. years ago. Um, so they released this. So they originally, um, this was sort of put together by J.K. Rowling and a playwright called Jack Thorne and a director called John Tiffany. So they collaborated on kind of their vision for what this would be. JK obviously had a lot of um, input into the story and what the main plot points would be and kind of what it was was going to look like, but Jack Thorne was the actual writer of this. Okay. And so one of the big tie-ins that they did is when they first did the first production in London's West End, they then did a complimentary release of this script, which I have here in hardback. It sounds like um, one. And it's a special rehearsal edition script, which I lined up for <laughs> with a bunch <laughs> of other Harry Potter fans in Harry Potter garb. And, yeah, so that's just also the disclaimer of how I'm approaching this in that I'm, like, a freak about it. So just keep that in mind. Hey, was there anybody in um, well, garb? It was a gala, Rob. So we were all in our gala gear. So, But there was a lot of people that wore their scarves or kind of house colours and I wore my like Ravenclaw pin just to you know oh. so people knew I was I was in on it and I knew what was up so there was a lot of um people there that had kind of had a bit of a nod to Harry Potter um so when I went along I saw them consecutively so there was a break in between um and that's how they run on Saturdays like I said I'll get into some more of the nitty-gritty details okay. of of that a bit later um But, yeah, so in general, I won't spoil anything, but I will say it's an epic. So there's sweeping capes, amazing set pieces. The lighting is incredible, just the way it's used. Um, And the main thing is there's stage effects and these kind of magic illusion effects that are unlike anything I've seen before on stage. And so that's part of what this keep the secrets thing is. It's keeping a lock on the story as well as the stagecraft and those illusions because... Quite frankly, I think if you ruined them for someone, you'd just be like, that's just not nice (laughs) because it's so 
wonderful to see them straight up. So I think that's kind of um, – they don't want to spoil it for the broad audience. So I would think generally if you do go along and see this, just keep your mouth shut, uh, which is what <laughs> I'm going to do during this sort of rough review um, and if you didn't, the the, the, the the spell that would hit you would be expulso, which means very expelled. Very good. <laughs> Done your research. So this is the other thing too, I guess, is the disclaimer is I'm the big Harry Potter fan, but you're a bit light on Harry Potter knowledge from what I understand. I've read the first book. I've seen the first film and I've seen bits and pieces of the other films <gasps> when I walk in on it on telly. And I do like, envy you, Rob, because there's a whole world that you're yet to uncover uh, in your future, if I've you a- so wish. I've actually seen that. What was that? Um, the Beast. The, the Beast well, just, film. No, no, no. <laughs> we put that in its own box to the side. Um, this is a big production. So I think in the original London one, I'm not sure if it's the same here, but it would be roughly the same number. There's about 42 actors. And then, of course, a lot of production, creative and technical staff that are involved in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The scale of the thing is impressive. So Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, it premiered in London's West End and it was on the 30th of July 2016, the day before Harry's birthday. (laughs) And at first I was like, why would you not have the opening on the day of Harry's birthday? And that's because they wanted to release, they wanted to launch this play script on the 31st of July 2016. Uh. So that was for the fans. That's on Harry's birthday. So it's on the West End in London and then in the 2017 Olivier Awards, which is kind of the British Tonys from what I saw on the internet, um, it did set a world record for awards that it won that year. So that was kind of, it was, you know, this little six-month-old baby or whatever and it won Best Actor in a Play, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Direction to John Tiffany, uh, Best Set Design, Best Lighting Design, Best Sound Design, Best Costume Design and Best New Play. And that is not the Oscars, by the way, if you just tuned in. No. We're talking about <laughs> awards that the Harry Potter play picked One, up. back in 2017 when it was first on the West End. Then, obviously, we want to expand, like all good things do. So it premiered in Broadway, on Broadway, not in Broadway. God, who am I? On Broadway in New York uh, in April of 2018. And now the 2018 Tony Awards, it was nominated for 10 awards and it only won a mere six. So it did take out Best Play and then uh, there was a bit of overlap in some of the other awards. It's won Best Scenic Design, uh, Best Costume Design, Best Director uh, to John Tiffany again, Best Lighting, Best Sound Design. So it's a lot of those technical awards. And if you see it, this thing, you will definitely understand why because it's quite a technical feat. Does Tiffany direct it here as well? So... From what I understand from the materials that I've received is that, yes, so the original production team is heavily involved in launching it here and then there are associate directors, associate producers and so on that support and I would imagine then, you know, go oh, yeah. forward with it. Um, but the the vision of it and how it's directed would all be very much in line with the original production, both here and, and New York would mimic what happened on the West End. Um So it's now here. So it's been in Melbourne. Uh, It's been in previews up until this past weekend uh, when it's had its official opening. It is showing at the Princess Theatre. And I think it's important to stress too, like this is the third place that they've put this production on. So they've gone London, New York, and then Melbourne. And that's actually quite a big thing. I think we're very lucky to have that here. And it's only in Melbourne too, apparently. Yeah. So it's it's literally in those three places. Um, Mm -hmm. And... The Princess Theatre has also been renovated for the event, the event for the production, Um, and 
there's some pictures and details um, that you can find, but the carpets have all been redone in Hogwarts Harry Potter oh. detail. There's these wall features. They've got these glass stained glass detailing that's been done. The seating is all new. The colour scheme inside the theatre is in like Slytherin and Gryffindor tones. So the colour scheme has changed. And they've also done, obviously, some facility-related upgrades. So structural, they've added in some extra bathrooms, all that kind of jazz. And so it is a full-on... It's an experience when you go. So it's not just the... It's, you know, the whole theatre has kind of been spruced up for this. Uh And if you do want to head along, so I'll dig into a bit more into the actual story and so on, but I think we might hear a track. But before we do, you can get tickets through Ticketek and the website. And basically the way it runs, like I said, it's in the two parts. You can select to see both on the one day, and that happens on Wednesdays, Saturdays and Sundays. Or you can see part one on Thursday and part two on Friday. Oh, yeah. So, and there's a couple of other options you can do, but those are the most straightforward ones. So, when you purchase your ticket, you automatically are signed up for one and two because they go together. What if you did something weird like saw part two first and then part one? You would just be a fool. (laughs) I don't think it would let you. I also don't think it would let you because when you book the tickets, it's not a fool. That's a bit harsh. But, like, you'd be ruining a great experience for yourself. It's like people who read the last page of a book. As as, as Gomez Adams once said, as Gomez. God is my witness. I am that fool. Like, why would you do that? But I'm pretty sure the system wouldn't let you. Um, The system? The system. (laughs) So, yeah, jump on. So, like, you don't book them separately. It's kind of a packet. Uh, It'll just do it for you. So you've got limited options as to how you can sort of see it. The hat sorts you. Pretty much, exactly. All right, so before we dig in too much and I get too overexcited, let's take a minute to listen to a track. So the score for this is actually done by Imogen Heap, which I did not know. Um, She's an artist. She's, um, She's like a artist, a musician, and she's also known for being in Frofro. I think that's how you say it. I'm not very familiar with her work, but she's um, been used, her songs have been used in a lot of TV movies, and she's kind of was like, I guess, big in like the 90s and 2000s was kind of her heyday. So the score was composed and arranged by Imogen Heap, and it was not what I had expected. It was quite, it's quite, you'll see, but it's quite whimsical and contemporary. Very fresh. Um, there's choral element, elements. There's a lot of woodwind in some of the tracks. It just was, I just expected, you know, a Williams-esque grand score, but it's it's quite interesting and I think it works to nice effect. So what we're going to hear is Sweet One, the Hogwarts Express by Imogen Heap from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Yeah. What were we listening to then, Megan? So that was the score from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child by Imogen Heap, and that was Sweet One, the Hogwarts Express. So that's very early on in the piece. Uh, So, yes, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It is spoiler-free. I am not going to ruin anything for you because I definitely think that goes against the spirit of this production. Um, Just giving you a little bit of a background, a bit of story, and a bit of kind of my thoughts. Uh, on and feelings. <laughs> we were Sorry. talking about the director, John Tiffany, mm. and um, he has a little bit of a story with Harry Potter. He was the, the manager of the theatre where J.K. Rowling was sitting in the cafe writing it, the, uh, the Harry Potter books originally, or at least yeah, the first one. when she was like a nobody and they hadn't been published yet. And, and, and he was nice to her. And yeah. As they say, anyone can be nice to a billionaire, but... Exactly. I uh, think that's a nice story. Yeah. 
um, and kind of very circular as well, like how it's all come around. And mm. yeah. um, all right, so let's dig in a little bit into the story. Um, so some people might not be familiar with what this is. So first of all, we're we're really focusing on this is like the original Harry Potter story. So forget any Grindelwald related, Fantastic Beast related stuff that's been in the movies. Um, this is sort of follow, still following the Harry story. It's set 19 years later. They kind of call it, um, what is it, the eighth story. So it's like there were the seven books and this is kind of a follow-up, an addendum, if you will, in an the epilogue. form of theatre. An epilogue. Yeah. Hmm. Well, no, because there was, I actually think this is making up, but there was a horrible flash forward at the end of the last book. People hated it. They thought it was weird. This actually takes it further and fleshes out and I think redeems what she was trying to do. Ah. Um, so we're following an, an adult, Harry, Hermione and Ron. And it's become now about, so they're significantly older. So we're, they're like kind of around 40, 35, 40 at this point. And their struggles as adults um, which is also told through the point of view of the children, so the next generation. So it's largely about, and this isn't a spoiler, Harry and his struggle with a son that he doesn't understand. Um, And this son is the willful and pretty self-absorbed, if we're being frank, Albus, who was, of course, named after Dumbledore. Um, So it kind of follows both the story of the adults, but it does largely focus on the children yet again um, through Albus and his only friend, uh, the delightful and charming Scorpius, who is also the son of Draco Malfoy from the original books. So reconciliation across generations. It's. I think it's really, you know, obviously around all of this, there's some bigger, more sinister things at play. Yeah. as there always must be, because, you know, every coming of age needs some kind of dark metaphor. Um, So Draco and Harry have these children that are misfits, and I just think that's so lovely, and they end up being best friends, and I don't know, it's quite poetic. So it does follow their story, and we follow that core concept. Uh, It's this generational clash and the pressures of being the child of Harry Potter, and then, you know, it unfolds. There's prophecy, time travel, and some alternate realities. So all the Mm. things that you might uh, expect. Um, and yeah, so it's about, it's about the adults, but it's mostly about the children, um, and the sort of greater struggle between good and evil past and the present. And there are, I mean, this is the thing is that a lot of people felt that, um, it's a bit, cause it wasn't written by JK Rowling, even though she was involved with it, some of it felt a bit fan servicey mm-hmm. cause there's some, oh yeah, we'll get into that a bit later, but, um, it does cover some darker themes, so it talks a lot about loneliness and what that can do to people, uh, different types of relationships or lack of relationships and, you know, missed connections and misguided intentions, and that all kind of comes into play for all the characters. Um, so it's both about smaller relationship-related things and then, you know, big wizarding wizarding fanfare, uh, as you would expect. Does this... Um, do, do you feel like it's an... Uh it does justice to because there's you know it's a lot of books and that to, to to cap off. Do you feel like it does do justice to all of them? I think it's trying to do something different, okay. which I respect, and I think works. But there's enough over. There's definitely enough overlap that it's very clearly has the genetic code of the original series. <laughs> like okay. it is quite clear. But there's also other things that I think are very interesting in how it's pitched for theatre. It does kind of make it. A different beast as well, hmm. um, but 
And I mean, the thing too is some of the actors in the production that I saw, they do channel some of how the characters were portrayed in the films, um, which I personally think feels right because people like mass audiences, especially with something like this, kind of want to see something that they know or are familiar with and not necessarily new theatrical interpretations. Like I think that feels okay. Um, Because, you know, oftentimes there might be a reimagining or characters, you know, it's it's up to every actor to do it a different way. But I think, I do think that what I saw and some of the characters being in line with what you're familiar with from the films, I think that that was nice. That felt right. I was going to ask, does Hermione have red hair? (laughs) (laughs) Stupid question. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, yeah, I mean, Hermione is... um, is black in this, and she was also black in London. I actually didn't check to see the casting in New York. Um, and that's, you know, something that JK's talked about. She's like, you know, I've never kind of given any specifics around that. I genuinely do think that you can enjoy this if you're not a Harry Potter fan, which is a bit of a big statement. Yeah. I don't think you'll get as much out of it, obviously, and I think there's a refresher in the program. It runs through the timeline by year and it's also got some key terms just in the front, uh, some key terms that will help you. Obviously, I think it would be best if you weren't a Harry Potter fan and you wanted to see this, at least maybe just have a squiz at the movies. Um, oh, now there's a question. Um, you were saying have a squiz at the movies. Um, what about the books? Could I just sit, read the books and watch this? Oh, absolutely. Yes, okay. I would say that's my recommended approach. But for the lazy man's approach, you could just uh, – I think they're all on Netflix right now, so you could whip through the movies. I would say if you're going for lazy, lazy man's approach and maybe you've read or seen them a long time ago and don't really remember, just brush up on year four stuff, so Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. To Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> no. Actually, there is that. I'm, I'm curious. Is there actually? There probably is. Is there a, a Potterpedia instead? You know. Oh well, there's Pottermore, but I think you'd, you'd probably just look on Wikipedia. Yeah, okay. Would have all, all of right. the details. But again, like if you want to experience the Harry Potter world, I wouldn't start with this because there's definite spoilers. Yeah. Um, because it's you know it's in the future, so. It will spoil things for you. So obviously just everybody just read well, f- it. <laughs> well, for me, there's, oh, the three main characters are still alive at the end of the, st- <laughs> the Yeah, <book>. fair. That's <laughs> fair. You spoiled it for me, B. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. So, yeah, that's kind of my uh, overview of it without getting too into my own personal feelings. But in terms of kind of my thoughts and experience of it. So my disclaimer as well is that I was very lucky and I had quite good seats that had a very straight on view and they weren't so close that any of the um, kind of the illusion stuff, it, it was a good distance from that. And I mean, I'm not saying you'd see the strings if you were closer necessarily, but um, I just felt like I was quite lucky in that way. Um, so the main thing is the stage effects and the magic, like the stage, uh, yeah, the stage effects. They're just another level like there was lighting there was um sleight of hand there was on stage effects that were just unlike anything i've ever seen and delightful like the amount of work that would have gone into this and the amount of like epically talented people that would have had to plan and execute some of these effects and it's hard work for the actors as well like i thought a lot about some of these things would be effort to learn a lot of pressure to make look make it look easy and natural and to do it every performance effortlessly 
and they pulled it off. Like they just did a wonderful job. And I think that would obviously be, it'd be that iceberg thing where on the top or like at the duck that's swimming and it looks so effortless, but underneath it's just like paddling super fast and takes a lot of effort. And I think definite kudos to the actors who kind of, have a lot of pressure to get that stuff and execute it and it just looked amazing mm-hmm. and also the obviously the brilliantly talented people who like thought up those effects oh, is there a lot of um this is very uh, common in uh, theatrical productions projection you know rear projection and there is but it's not like any projection i've ever seen rob it's like next level use ah. of projection that you don't even realize is projection because you think you're in the wizarding world it's just um you should see <laughs> you should see megan she's i'm actually going to um, tell her not to wave her hands quite that way because it's an incantation or something and i know i'm getting very open a portal to the hell mouth <laughs> i'm what they'd say i'm gesticulating wildly yes yeah, um but i mean there were audible gasps in the performance i saw and this is like an audience of people who there was a lot of industry people there i think so they know about like the wonders of the stage and how these things might be done yeah people were like genuinely delighted and there was a lot of spontaneous applause like when certain things kind of were pulled off uh there's a lot of clever choreography even just the seamless way between scenes or the seamless way set pieces are moved it's all very carefully thought out um, and just creates this energy of, like, just this fluidity that I think is really lovely. And then, you know, there's just cool stuff with, like, fire and <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. So that's kind of my main thing is I think the main takeaway and the reason why it's don't spoil it for people is, like, the effects that they do on stage are really clever and I think they're kind of, you know, first of their kind for a lot of that stuff. The plot, I think, is interesting enough. I think, obviously seeing it on stage is a very it's a bigger experience than when I read it like when I read it I was like oh yay but when you see it because it's meant to be seen there's so much visual stuff that really adds to it so I think it does hit all the right notes um even though some people thought it was a bit fan servicey and if you're familiar with it you'll kind of see what I mean in that it does some stuff that is for fans but I think it, for a theatre production, uh, it creates opportunities to do different kinds of set designs or uh, create a different experience of the Harry Potter world that is still familiar but that and special but, like, kind of can show different situations or places or characters or I raise my, I raise my hand yeah. to, to ask a question uh, about... Um, uh, with, with it being an, ad- an adaptation... You know, essentially, it is an adaptation as well of the books and the extra um, screen, uh, stage production book that they've made. It's not really an adaptation. It's kind of um, the script was deliberately is because it's just the source material. It's not like a written story. Right. It's the script. So, I, I think the first and foremost is a the theatre production, and then the written script is like. I mean, it's a way to make money, let's be honest. <laughs> it still was so much source material. There, There is always, and I always notice this with, with um, productions that are some kind, based on something, you know, that it, there's always the potential to make it very expository, to, mm. which is not a, an incantation. I put the wand down. But, you know, mm. is, does it does it err on that side? Does it run into that? Yes and no. I think the exposition elements are handled pretty well Uh i think there's a very clear through line and like i don't want to say too much but like there's elements of it of the plot structure that follow along what you expect from plots of that type 
Okay. I mean, I already said there was time travel, but like, you know. So I think there's familiar elements of that. I mean, maybe I'm thinking again, if you weren't that familiar with Harry Potter, you might be a bit confused because there's probably some baseline things that you wouldn't get just from what's said in the production. But I think there's enough to hold on to there. Yeah. I mean, I the, 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 mm. the, the subset of people who aren't familiar with Harry Potter and who would go to see this play is probably not large. No. You know. It's probably not large. You're right. Unless, but they, I, unless they went with somebody else, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it's a big ask, I, I, you know, even to go along with someone. But, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you get to see certain things and situations and characters and places again. And I like that they've made this structure to make that possible. And I think that is fan servicey, but I think it works. It really affected me. I, like, welled <laughs> up a little thinking about it again. Aww. But, I mean, you know, I'm a Harry Potter freak. But I really felt a joy after having watched the production mm-hmm. and it did genuinely feel like being back in that world again much more so than when i saw fantastic beasts and it felt it very much felt like being back in the world that i originally oh. fell in love with to use a cliche no that's great that's what that's what fandom is yeah and i think that's, that's part why we do of zero g what know? theater is like it reminded me about the joy of watching a live production like that yeah um a couple more now. I've realised I've rambled on. Into you have a track, you were saying. <laughs> I do. I have a track. I might just... I've got a couple more points and then I'll play my track, I think. Okay. It's funny. It's quite funny. I think I wasn't expecting it. A lot of the notes hit quite right. And I think the script is written... There were laugh-out-loud moments in the script, but I think they're delivered quite well by the cast. Mm-hmm. Costumes are great. I think they're different enough to feel new, but they've got the same energy and they've got that same Hogwarts kind of vibe. And I really want house bed sheets now. <laughs> I mean, the, the ongoing problem with both the script and this is that I don't think Ron... I think Ron has done a big disservice. I'm not sure if Thorne understands his character. He's not really a character, and that's a bit disappointing. He's kind of just a comic foil. I think it's done well in the production, and I think it's okay in the end, but I was a bit disappointed that he wasn't given more in the actual script. And they also say Voldemort, because that's something JK said now, that it's pronounced Voldemort and not Voldemort. Which Sorry. is... What's the difference? Go, go. Voldemort, with no T, yeah. and Voldemort, which is how they say it in the movies. Okay. So uh, now it's Voldemort. I didn't know that. But it's in Australia. I mean, No, no, like, <laughs> in that's like the law now. That's is, just... And wizards didn't use toilets. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is now Harry Potter law. But he's, anyway. He's lucky he's not called Voldy here. I, um, I will play a track. I'm overall... Delightful. I love the world. I think the production is amazing. Uh, big thank you to Elizabeth McCarthy and Bridges PR for getting me along. And I reckon you should read the books and then go see it, Rob. That could take a while. It's a strong recommendation. What's the yeah, nah, maybe rating? Oh, it's like a, a yeah times yeah. 100. Yeah. Oh. It's a, I don't <laughs> even good. know. No, I was trying to think of a Harry Potter-related pun, but I just, I'm too worn out from talking for half an hour about, it's the, about it with a lot of excitement. It's the thing. It's the enthusiasm. Yeah. That's what it's all about. You know, we are enthusiasts. So you um, have a track. I do. I have a track. I'm going to rest my voice. I'm going to play another song from the score by Imogen Heap. This is Sweet 2 Staircase Ballet. This is Peter Woodward. I play the Technomage Galen in Babylon 5 and Crusade. And you are listening to Zero G. Who do you serve? And who do you trust? Ah. 
<laughs> very Enya and Howard Shawish there. Yeah, so that was Sweet Two Staircase Ballet from the score of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child by Imogen Heap. Wait a minute, that's a spoiler. There's a staircase. There is, and it does dun, stuff dun, dun, that's ballet like. The the Medea blackout <laughs> will get you, which means it's a Medea blackout. So they'll um, they'll kill all your children and burn your ships on the shore. How did you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I hope I didn't reveal too much. Um, and yeah, it was just it was a really enjoyable enjoyable thing and it doesn't feel too long even mm. though it is all in all over five hours which sounds like a lot but um nah. yeah i don't know <laughs> harry potter he lives the boy who lives so yeah i wonder if there's people um watching all the movies and then going off and seeing the uh, the play straight away after oh undoubtedly yeah <laughs> um i kind of liked that i was going in a pretty fresh um it's mm. been a while since i watched all the movies um or read the books so yeah, that being said, and I had didn't really remember much about the script, so it was still it was a nice surprise. Some of the things I forgot hmm. happened, and yeah, I don't know. Very lucky, great to go along. Definitely recommend. Hmm. Um, well, um, speaking of the other major franchise in the universe, mm. uh, I am totally stoked for the Captain Marvel movie. Yes, it's coming closer next month. Early next month, I've already booked for both the regular and an IMAX 3D session. Excellent. <laughs> Higher, further, faster, and more. Contrast, yes, you know. Of course, we've got um, Avengers: Endgame in late April, mm-hmm. uh, and in June there's an X Men movie, Dark Phoenix. Yes, I saw the trailer for that. Mm. Spider Man: Far From Home in July. Yay. Uh, the New Mutants in August, mm-hmm. and. Sp- Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is coming out in DVD near the end of March. Nice. And It Chapter 2 comes out in September. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Very excited. Television. Uh, Both Jessica Jones and The Punisher have been cancelled over at Netflix. Yes. Although the third season of Jessica Jones will still be streaming. I mean, that came to the surprise of no one, right? No. Uh, and I swear this is not a joke, uh, Marvel, Hulu have commissioned four adult animated series, Howard the Duck, Modoc, Hit Monkey, and Tigra and Dazzler. What? <laughs> These are all going to end up in a team-up spin-off special called The Offenders. Mm. <laughs> too far. It's no, too no, far. no, no. These all of these characters, Modoc and Howard the Duck, especially, and Hit Monkey too. Uh, not quite sure about Tigra and, and Dazzler. Tigra's um, is that related to Jessica Jones in some way? No. Uh, well, or not not the really. Hulk. No. Is it the Hulk? No. No, Tigra and, and Dazzler. Tigra's kind of a, a, a occasional supervillain. Oh, no, I'm thinking um, Hellcat. <laughs> yes. This is another kitten-based um, character. Uh, <laughs> so many of them, too So many. many of them. And Dazzler, of course, is the roller skating uh, rock star. Oh, okay. That Marvel um, created as an actual uh, kind of a, a movie star, television show, musical adaptation mm. back in the day. And okay. Um, but, you know, this is all going to be amazing because Hulu is soon to be controlled by Disney as part of the Fox Assets Disney purchase. Oh. So you can see where that's going. Interesting. Hulu also has The uh, the Runaways, which is another yep. Marvel-based series. And um, Marvel's TV slate also still includes Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC in America. Oh. Season 7 oh. with a spin-off of some... Uh, Webisodes called Slingshot, based Gosh, upon the Yo Yo character. Along. I it never is. quite got into it, but you, you enjoy I, it. I'm still following. I'm still yeah. watching it. Uh, Marvel's New Warriors, or is a, a, a cable television series, which they're still trying to find a home for at the moment. Mm. It, it sort of lost where it was going. <laughs> it stars 
Milena Weintraub as Squirrel Girl. Oh, so I'm really holding yeah, out for this Yeah, you'd be keen on one. that. As well as the uh, the Damage Control series that's sort of on again, off again, and the Loki and the Scarlet Witch, which will be on the Disney um, streaming channel when they get round to it. And that's now got a showrunner, Michael Waldron, who's uh, worked on Rick and Morty. Um, and Tom Hiddleston is going to be in that. But remember, Loki is a shapeshifter, mm. so you can get away with him not being out all the time. And also the Scarlet Witch and the Vision series too which has uh, hired uh, Jacques uh, Schaefer, who worked on the Captain Marvel screenplay as its showrunner. And they reckon they're going to get Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olf- Olsen um, doing their roles for the television oh, series. it's a big ask. Yeah. Well, you know, so then they may have lost a couple of Netflix shows, or all of them, but... Um, you know, there's still a lot out there. There's, ugh, even I'm getting a bit fatigued, though. You've got superhero fatigue, have you? A little. Yeah, that can I happen. I'm good to go, though. <laughs> <laughs> right up until they kill off Tony Stark. Then I'm. it's nothing to no one, no more. Well, I know. Mate, you're going to have to prepare yourself, I imagine. I know. No, then we'll just talk about the comics. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. All right, that's it for Zero G for today. Uh, Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you very much for the working on the, right. on the, on the Potter production. It's a, the time today. whipped right past. I looked up and I'd been babbling for half an hour, but yeah. a good Harry Potter babble is my favourite thing. Mm. So thank you for letting me cover it on the show. No, no, it's, it's, it's like I said, I wanted the enthusiasm. We certainly got that. <laughs> the gesturing. Yeah. <laughs> the now wild. We, uh... Now we have to undo the mystical damage. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, we're going to go out with a track from a stage production, uh, our Bowie track for today, Heroes from Lazarus, uh, Michael C. Hall, Sophia Ann Caruso and the original New York cast. And Lazarus is actually coming to Melbourne in May. So uh, All my favourite things are going to be in theatres. Yeah, both at once. And that's it. Thanks a lot, Megan. Thank you. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.